It is a story that no one can stop talking about, the shooting of Trayvon Martin. Now to the Trayvon Martin case. To the killing of Trayvon Martin, a self-described... So I'm at home in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm 14 years old and by and large just mostly sitting around online all day and playing violent video games, drinking a permanently damaging amount of soda. I'm just barely a teenager, so I'm not very politically inclined. Although I guess like most young adolescent boys, I'm something of a spiritual libertarian. My beliefs can basically be boiled down to keep your hands off my video games, keep your hands off my soda. That being said, I'm just old enough to understand how huge of a deal this Trayvon Martin case really is. I'm growing up in a deeply religious, conservative household in the Bible Belt. My family is talking about this thing, kids at school are talking about it, Facebook, Twitter, it's the story of the hour. I know it's a huge deal, but that's all I know, which is very frustrating. I should know everything at this point. So where do I go? Why not the place I go for everything else, the internet? I Google Trayvon Martin Explained and click through a few articles that are much longer than I was looking for. So search videos. The first YouTube link reads the truth about George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. It's long too, about 30 minutes, but it's got a million views. And at least it's not reading. I can play video games and listen to something else at the same time if I need to. A kindly seeming bald man with big eyes and a vaguely Scandinavian accent appears picture in picture over a slideshow. Hi everybody, my name is Stefan Molyneux and I'm the host of Free Domain Radio, which is the largest philosophy show in the world. Ah yes, philosophy. That thing I've been meaning to learn about. This guy's a big shot, I might as well be in college. I sit back and prepare for my brain to expand tremendously. Soon I'll be talking Trayvon with the best of them. As we are in the closing few days of the trial of George Zimmerman for the death of Trayvon Martin, I thought I would share a few thoughts. I hope you will make it through this presentation. I think it's quite important. We start with some caveats. I'm certainly no legal expert, and I really don't care that much about some of the I do actually want to get some information out there for people if it can help calm a few rioters and so on. It may, in fact, save some lives. So I hope that you will stay with me through the presentation. So now let's look at uh, Trayvon Martin. Uh, of course, you probably saw the pictures of this a cherub-faced young boy of 11 or 12. Uh, the reality is he was a 17-year-old young black man. He was 5'11", 158 pounds, a former footballer, muscular. Uh, he was a possible drug dealer who had been suspended from school for carrying around a bag. Uh, the fruit juice cocktail and the Skittles are two ingredients in a druggy concoction known as lean, scissorp or purple drink, which requires codeine, uh, soft drink, and candy. According to his Facebook, Posts Martin had been using lean since at least June 2011. So when? what are the drug effects of lean? High doses are sometimes compared to the effects of other dissociatives such as PCP or ketamine. So Zimmerman broke no laws by being in the neighborhood watch, by believing that Martin was acting suspiciously, by calling the police to tell them what he was doing and asking for assistance. Forget race, forget age. Forget cherubic pictures, forget all the portraits that the media has painted of a racist, of uh, white on black crime. All right, let's skip ahead. Well, okay, let's look at some numbers. I don't mean to shock anyone with some facts. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, between 19 other blacks. So I don't think it's white on black violence that you need to be majorly concerned about 
and let's look at some potential roots of black-on-black -black violence or black violence as a whole. I need one, but it's important. If you have a more matriarchal society, likelihood is that you're going to have more child abuse. Single mom. Well, does this go some ways towards explaining rap lyrics? I think it's possible. Another quote uh, from comedians and superstar radio personalities who preaches in YouTube videos of child beatings and Barack Obama, black culture encourages and even celebrates the beating of children. There's much better ways for us to deal with life and to find peaceful ways of solving our problems rather than appealing to the state and the race baiters and all the people who turn us against each other rather than having us look upwards to the real masters and free ourselves from that. All right, um, cool. Fast forward a couple of years and what the fuck? Who was that guy? Why did I ever come across his video? Why were dormant thoughts about George Zimmerman's innocence allowed to fester in the back of my mind for a few years? Well, that guy, like he said, is Stefan Molyneux. And even a perfunctory glance at his Wikipedia page reveals that he's an alt-right, anarcho-capitalist, anti-feminist, white supremacist who advocates scientific racism. Why I ever came across his video is a far more daunting question, and one that's much harder to thoroughly answer. The hard and fast reason? YouTube loves to promote far-right extremism. That's science at this point. Here, look, let's make a new YouTube account and see if we can get 10 clicks in without becoming racist. All right, first name impressionable, second name child. Born in 2005, Jesus. All right, cool. Now what's first? Recommended channel for you, PewDiePie. Top trending video, James Charles's cancel. All right, whatever. From here, we're only gonna pick from the recommended videos in our immediate sidebar. Recommended video, is that a microaggression? Okay. Recommended video, triggered by T-U-M-B-L-R. Man, okay. Recommended video, H3H3 on plus size models. Next. Recommended video, Joe Rogan on transgender athletes. <sighs> All right. Recommended video, Joe Rogan and Steven Crowder on transgender transitioning controversy. Jeez. Recommended video, Ben Shapiro Savage Moments compilation. Yeah, just about there. Recommended video, Milo Yiannopoulos, what the alt-right is really about. Next. Recommended video, Ben Shapiro, the myth of the tiny radical Muslim minority. Yeah, all right, that's enough. For those of you who haven't picked up on it yet, we're racist by now. Only nine clicks in, and we're already watching this Ben Shapiro tour falsify numbers about Islamic violence. Is radicalism in the Muslim world a tiny minority phenomenon? So to answer that question, we need to define that calculation. It's about 143 million people who are radicalized. You scared yet? You know, we're just getting started. Okay, Egypt, 80 million Muslims. United States. Here is the total of the countries that we've gone through just now. 680 million, 30,000. 680 million, 30,000 radical Muslims. And that's out of a total population in those countries. Tunisia, Somalia, and Libya are also radicalized. And if they are, then, well, we're above 800 million Muslims who are radicalized. More than half the Muslims on Earth. That's not a minority. That's now a majority. And that's still not even surveying hundreds of millions of Muslims in other countries. In other words, the myth of the tiny radical Muslim minority is just that. It's a myth. And, unfortunately, it's a myth that's going to get a lot of civilized people killed. And... Oh, you know, so what? What's it matter if some guy lies on the internet? Well, it's got four million views. 
What you're hearing now is a Quebecois police interrogation video from last year with a young student named Alexandre Bissonnette, who the previous day had killed six people in a local mosque. Do you have problems with Muslims personally? The cop asks. I don't want to talk about it, Bissonnette responds. It is important, no? The cop asks. I wanted to save people, says Bissonnette. Save people? From terrorist attacks. I was convinced they were going to kill my parents, my family. Records obtained by the Canadian police show that Bissonnette visited Ben Shapiro's Twitter page more than any other website in the weeks leading up to the shooting. And I mean, for what it's worth, the first guy we clicked on, the one promoted to us right off the bat, PewDiePie, well, the man who killed 51 people in a New Zealand mosque two months ago called out his name immediately before opening fire. Public concern over the Internet's use by ultra-right-wing political organizations and individuals has cast serious doubts over the democratic promise of this digital arena. Les Black, Michael Keith, and John Salamos say in their research paper, Racism on the Internet, Mapping Neo-Fascist Subcultures in Cyberspace. They continue. The Internet has opened up these ideas to a youthful, educated middle-class audience that had not been viewed as vulnerable to such ideas. It seemed plausible, and indeed probable, that through the Internet, the far right could establish a window into school computer systems and those of higher education. Although this may sound like a thesis designed to forewarn Facebook boomers charged with the vanguard of the YouTube generation, this was written 21 years ago. And yet, the creeping intrusion of ultra-far-right ideologues into the social media mainstream still blows some people away. So why did I stumble over racist stuff? Because YouTube promotes it. But why does YouTube promote it? Why would one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world allow racism to openly fester on its platform? Well, the recommendation algorithm is proprietary, so we can't really look and find out. But we can think about what they stand to gain from willingly leading young online boys down a right-wing rabbit hole. Think about this. Say you're interested in switching up your diet. So you type in vegetarianism and click the first video, what if the world went vegetarian? That video wraps up and another one automatically begins to play. What if the world became vegan? It's like you're never hardcore enough for YouTube. That's techno-sociologist Zainab Tufeki, here from TED. The algorithm has figured out that if you can entice people into thinking that you can show them something more hardcore, they're more likely to stay on the site watching video after video going down that rabbit hole while Google serves them ads. Unfortunately, algorithm can't distinguish between, say, increasingly intense sports highlights and increasingly intense racist propaganda. And that's bad. That's really bad. Because these morally blind algorithms make companies like YouTube a lot of money. So what can we do? Uh, this needs to change. Everything from the way um, technology is developed to the way the incentives, economic and otherwise, are built into the system, uh, we have to face and try to deal with the lack of transparency created by the proprietary algorithms, the structural challenge of machine learning's opacity, all this indiscriminate data that's being collected about us. We have a big task in front of us. We have to mobilize our technology. All right, Zainab, you're, you're going too big picture for me right now. I just want to make sure my little cousins don't grow up Nazis because of Snapchat or whatever. So here's the thing. 
talk to the stupid young guys you know. I know it's hard, they suck, they're awful, and they suck, terrible. But as long as they're online, social networks are going to keep feeding them whatever will keep them clicking. So they might end up sucking way harder if you don't try to talk to them about the kind of stuff they watch. The only thing that can break through these online algorithms is real life interaction. For WNSR, I'm Jackson Pacheco.